Hey there, you're listening to Don't Be an Asshole, a spiritual guide. It's a podcast where we talk about life, music, and spirituality. As we get into this, I just want you to know that it's not about getting you to believe what I believe. It's about asking you to ask yourself why you believe what you believe. All right. Hey, first of all, I want to apologize for not getting an episode out last week. Missing a week on a weekly podcast is kind of a big deal. I know to the tens of you who have downloaded this podcast, you're counting on me. You're counting on me to entertain you. So let me entertain you today. My mom used to sing a song. She just, I'm pretty sure she made it up. One time I came into the house and I'm like, I'm bored. And so she started dancing and singing, let me entertain you like Judy Garland or something. And I was so embarrassed, even though it was just her and I, that I never told her I was bored again. My kids are wired so differently than me that uh, when they came in one time a few years ago and they did the same thing, I'm bored. I started singing that song because, you know, we are our parents after all, to some extent that my oldest started snapping his fingers and dancing along, had this big smile on his face. He was pretty, pretty excited about that being entertained thing. Anyway, that's neither here nor there. Today's episode is part three with my conversation with Trevor Algott, and I'm excited to get right into that. And we basically just ran out of time. We could have gone four, five, six parts because the conversation was uh, interesting. I felt like I hijacked it several times. So um, I have a lot to learn about being an interviewer uh, rather than just someone who talks into a microphone. So I hope you enjoy it. We're going to dive right in today. Uh, don't forget, you can support this podcast by going to patron.podbean.com forward slash Eric Tom As always, the link will be in the description. All right. In the same line, but a different topic, so to speak, is I believe that most of our experiences are anecdotal. Almost everything we come up with as a reason that something is true is just anecdotal. I know this is a fact because this happened to Susan. You know, mm. I'm like, mm, that doesn't make it a fact. It just right. happened to Susan once. Right. Um, whether it's a defense of racism or like not, not overt racism, but like that something that's inside somebody, they're like, well, I know that, you know, Hispanics are this way because I know this family that lived down the street from me. That's crap. That's painting with a broad brush, but politically speaking, most of our our experiences are anecdotal. Oh, these tax cuts for the rich are great because I got a bonus at work last year. Okay, great. Good for you. That doesn't make it great, though. I mean, anything that you can come up with, we believe it almost because of an anecdotal situation. You know, we recall things, we think of things because something happened to somebody that we know or one time it happened to us. And so, oh, I know it kind of reminds me of a pet peeve. I have way chasing a rabbit here. But when someone's like, oh, I'm like, do you know what day it is? Oh, it's Tuesday because uh, Thursday is my birthday. I'm like, it's not Tuesday because Thursday is your birthday. Yeah. Thursday just happens to be your birthday. It's still Tuesday, no matter when your birthday is. Yeah. You know, I'm like... It's those weird little assumptions we make yeah. with our language that we don't yeah. even notice. Yeah. I used to be... I used to call it out all the time. And then I realized 
I'm the asshole. That's going to say, you probably didn't have a lot of friends in that phase. I don't think people like to be called out on that kind of thing. No, no. Actually, I, I still don't have a lot of friends. Um, <laughs> I, it, I, and I, I've stopped doing that kind of stuff. I just The habit I've gotten into of not having friends, I guess, is a hard habit to break. It gets, it gets harder as you get older, too. Yeah, Especially man. with a family with three kids. Yeah. I mean, I, I mean, you don't have a lot of opportunity to just go hang out. No, no. And I do get invited out sometimes. But you know how some people have that thing called uh, FOMO? Fear of missing out. Yeah. I have the exact opposite thing. I have the fear of being included. I have phobia. Really? And, yeah. Oh, man. Someone's like, hey, you want to come out with us to uh, this bar for a networking thing? I'm like, uh, not even a little bit. <laughs> you know? Wow. Why? What's what's the fear? I don't Well, I mean, the fear of being included might be a little bit. I just a play on words. You know, fear of missing out, fear of being included. I would just rather I have a chair at home that is angled in front of the television in a way I like. And I, I get to be in that chair maybe an hour uh, every two weeks. Yeah, yeah. And I would like to be in that chair. Yeah. I would like to be sitting there and watching a rerun of NCIS. I get it, yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, All my friends who have kids that look at me, and they're like, Trev, you have no idea how much time you have <laughs> in your life to do things you want to do. You have no idea. Yeah, but when I was... I worked in university ministry for a long time and I worked in a situation where you just expected to do things. I was thinking about this yesterday and I'm, I'm not trying to throw any particular person under the bus, but the organization, the team that I worked for, like I didn't want to go play ultimate Frisbee every Friday. I'm a 34 year old man. I shouldn't have to go play ultimate Frisbee every Friday if I don't want to, but I had to. I was made to go play ultimate frisbee. I'm like, I'm a grown, a grown ass adult. I shouldn't have to do this, but I did. And so I started resenting doing things, mm. Um, mm. or not every Friday, just whenever it was, but yeah. it was like almost every week, ultimate frisbee. And then every Friday or Saturday night over a game night or a food night or something like that. I'm like, I would rather do something else. Mm. And so one day I did. And I'm not there anymore. <laughs> so yeah. Yeah. that's just how that worked. And I, I just kind of got this thing where I just didn't want to do all the time. And even growing up, I didn't like doing. I just wanted to hang with a couple of people. And that's just kind of my personality. So, you know, having a wife and three kids is really not all that bad for me. Because I'm not really looking to go out. And I went to a bar once, like last year. Some friends, they're like that whole thing you know, from one of my other acting classes. They're like, oh, it'll be great. You're going to meet some, you know, you can meet some people in the industry, which I did. But, and maybe, you know, something will come of it, which it didn't. But I went and it was fun to be with the two or three people that I knew. But it's terrifying to me to try to meet new people. I'm just like, um, like going from like one workshop to the other one where there's like different people in there. I'm like, look, I've already let people in one place know who I am. I don't really want to do this again. You know, I don't really want to be like, oh, here's my stories. And this is all, oh, this is me being funny. Oh, you know, mm-hmm. I don't want to do that again. So we, we went and I mean, it's just the whole thing. You know, there's people that are single people that are desperate. There are people spilling drinks. And I'm like, what do you have on tap? Oh, this is, you know, we only have like uh, mixed drinks and bottled beer. And I'm like... What do you have in bottles? 805. I'm like, ah, how much is it? $9. What? <laughs> you know? Yeah. Like, yeah. So, 
all the reasons not to quickly add up. Oh yeah. Yeah. I just don't like doing it. Um, I do like going out to eat with somebody. I like that intimacy. I like, and even if it's something I don't like, I like going, I love going places with people that are passionate about that thing. Like I don't like baseball, but I love going to a baseball game with someone who loves baseball. Mm. I don't like Indian food, but I love going to a curry house with someone who loves Indian food. Mm. I just, if someone's passionate about something that just flows over me, I love it so much. I love being around it. It inundates me with that same passion. Yeah. Maybe because I'm dead inside, I just want to feel something. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's, that's beautiful and terrible. <laughs> I just want to feel something again, man. Oh, man. Uh, I don't know. What's next for you, man? What's next for me? Yeah, what's next? Oh, what that's a great question. I'm yeah. trying to figure that out. Uh, I have recently sort of stepped back from acting. Mm-hmm. Um, at some point when I turned... Around when I turned 30, 31, 32, 33, I'm 37 as we record this. Uh, I just started to fall out of love with acting. And it's funny, I'm watching Ozark right now, season two of Ozark on mm-hmm. Netflix, which is a fucking great show. And uh, I'm watching these actors and I'm like, they're incredible what they're doing. And I, I don't identify with it anymore. It's not the way I used to. And I occasionally still get called for acting stuff, but... I don't really get, I don't understand how to do that anymore. I think as I've gotten older and about a year and a half ago, tragically lost my older brother suddenly. Oh man, I'm sorry um, to hear that. Thanks. It was, it was a terrible time. Uh, but I realized that I don't know how to fake it anymore. And even if I did, I don't want to. Mm. And acting to me, uh, I'm not at a place yet where I have learned to sort of funnel my authenticity into a fictional character and fictional circumstances right. or turn up certain, I mean, it's a very spiritual thing when you think about acting, but turning up different aspects of your personality in order to create something sort of new mm-hmm. or at least something exaggerated that doesn't naturally exist in the real world, at least in your experience of the real world. I feel like I'm having to constantly correct what I'm saying because I, it's, it's an amorphous thing when you talk about the art form of acting, but Anyway, you asked what what's next. I'm telling you, what's not next. Uh, no, no, I mean, I we we need to know where because so we didn't really get into what you've been doing. So you know, you're kind of setting it up. So yeah, do do whatever you need to do here. I think I, I've been really intrigued by music and writing. Okay, um, they sort of seem to be uh, intertwined for me. Um, so I've been experimenting with, with writing. It's very hard. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know if you've ever tried to write anything. It's terrible, at least just for me. hundreds of sermons. Oh, that, yeah, of course. Yeah, so you know just yeah. how brutal uh, the inner censor can be Yeah, with that kind of thing. Uh, and music. Music has always come very naturally to me, and it's something I want to do more of. But it is surprisingly one of those things that I really have to summon a lot of willpower to get started with. Mm-hmm. And then it just takes me for hours and hours and hours. And I'll have to do I don't get up to pee. I don't get up to eat. I don't get up to do anything until I'm done with whatever I'm working on. So I can, I can literally waste an entire eight to 10 hour day just sitting in front of logic on my computer, playing the guitar and keyboard and writing lyrics and things like that. So I, there's something there for me that I want to explore. Um, my girlfriend just moved in and that's been really wonderful. Don't know how much longer we'll be in LA. We're both sort of eager to experience seasons and, Mm. um, and family more often. So you thinking all the way back East of Philly or I definitely want to be closer to my dad. That was okay. another thing my brother's death taught me was family is um, very important and we could lose anybody at any moment. Right. I don't want to um, not see my dad again. 
so I want to be as close to him as possible. He's getting older, you know, so he's, he, after, after that whole thing, I realized that my father is the most important man to me in my entire life. Oh, wow. And, uh, seeing him once or twice a year is not enough. So, so I'm thinking about moving back to Philly. I don't know if I'd like it aside from being closer to family, but you know, she just moved in. So we're going to talk about it. We're going to give ourselves six months to a year to sort of come to a hard decision about what's next. Well, there's a lot of places. Cl- I mean, the East Coast is so everything's close. You know, you could be in, yeah. even in New York and be close to Philadelphia. Yeah, yeah. You know, it does. Yeah. That that seems so weird to me because I've never been to the Northeast, and so having all that stuff like close together, when people are like, I don't even really know how to describe it, but people are like, oh yeah, you know, just go into New York, and I'm like, what? What do you mean just go into New York from Philadelphia? That's Pennsylvania. <laughs> Right. When I think of Pennsylvania, I'm thinking like way on the other. I'm thinking of Pittsburgh, I guess, yeah, you know, yeah. and because all that stuff is closer than upstate New York is to New York. Yeah. And because I think, what is it? Uh, El Paso, Texas is actually closer to San Diego than it is to Houston. And really? Yeah. So that's how like big things are out here. Whereas up there, everything's just like ding, 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 ding yeah. right there. And I'm just like, New York is an hour and a half drive from Philly. Yeah, and if you take uh, public transit like New Jersey Transit and uh, SEPTA from Philly, mm-hmm. three hours for fifteen bucks maybe round wow. trip. That's yeah. crazy. It's great. Yeah, I used to make that trek from Philly to New York all the time to audition when I was in high school. Mm-hmm. So I figured out how to how to do it on the cheap, and yeah. it's a long ride. It's three three and a half hours, but you know, for I think it was like seventeen bucks round trip, and I was I was in and back at the same day. Yeah, it would cost thirty five dollars just to park. Yeah, <laughs> right. Yeah, not, oh, you man. know, gas yeah. and tolls and yeah. You know, so. I, st- I still take the bus and train out here, and people look at me like, "What the hell's wrong with you? You have a car." And I'm like, "I don't like driving, man. I yeah. like taking the bus and the train. It's right yeah. here. It's like a fraction of the price." I, I I would like the train. I do not like the buses here, man. They take forever. They do. Yeah. yeah I, but that's why you find that's why you download podcasts like this one to listen yeah. to, and audiobooks and music. You yeah. Listen to the Downward Spiral again, skipping over track three. We we keep kicking around moving back to Oklahoma, but God. Yeah, I remember I, you were talking to me about that a while ago. We're we're actually uh, next month we're moving to Claremont. The house is going to be great, um, yeah. big a nice big house uh, for cheaper than what we're paying for rent and a one and a half bedroom duplex we're in right now. And three kids and you got yeah. that's yeah yeah. So it's a four bedroom house uh, out in Claremont. If all I was doing was the voiceover thing. And this podcast, it would be great. But I'm just now, you know, I'm I'm a few, I'm five years older than you are, and I'm just now trying to become an actor, like get in front of the camera, and do things on that that way. So I, I finally looked at myself in the mirror. I was like, hey, you can do this, you know. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. it took me a long time. I never even it never never even was a dream of mine. As a young, I always wanted to be a rock star. Yeah, what was it that that flipped that switch for you? It started with leaving ministry and having that vacuum, hmm. having a hole to fill somehow, and just driving around for a lift. And when I first moved to Los Angeles in 2005, I was working with Chi Alpha Campus Ministries at UCLA. And every morning I would walk into a Starbucks, some Starbucks. It wouldn't it wasn't even the same one. And almost every day for like two or three years, someone's like, Hey, do you do voiceover? And I'm like, no, but they would want to know what part of the industry I was in. 
And I'm like, I'm not in the industry. And they were just like, how, what? And when you live on the west side of LA, everyone just assumes everybody is somehow in the industry. Because I lived close to Culver City, so I'd go to the Starbucks there or like in Westwood or on the way, or if I was going somewhere else. And so almost every day, someone asked me if I did voiceover, and I was always, no, I don't do voiceover. And so when I, I left ministry in 2016, I spent about six months just driving for a lift, trying to figure out what was next. And I kicked it around a couple of times because I just heard it so much. And I'm like, I mean, I don't have one of those Don LaFontaine voices. You know, I'm not Morgan Freeman. I'm just someone who likes to tell stories. And I, maybe that came across. I don't know. I was talking to a passenger once and she was an actress and she gave me the phone number of the acting studio that she goes to and like, Hey, they, they do a Saturday voiceover class. Maybe you should just give it a try. And so I did. And that was that. And they really liked what I was, what I was doing. And I was able to book some jobs pretty quick uh, with voiceover. And then when I started shopping around for an agent, which I don't have at this point, I did talk to someone. It's like, you have a really interesting look. Maybe you could be in front of the camera. And I was like, I don't know what interesting look means. Mm. Um, but she started putting me in front of the camera in some auditions. And then one day I self-submitted for a pilot for a, like a web series or a television show or something. And I'd done nothing but commercial auditions up to this point. And so I did a self-tape and I got called in for a callback. And I was like, oh, nice. This is the first time this has happened. And so I went in and... I read for this part and they were using some actor lingo, some director lingo that I didn't understand because I'd never been in a room like that before. And I told them, Hey, this is the first time I've ever done this. And the casting director and the producer of the show were both genuinely surprised that I wasn't a professional actor, that this wasn't my thing. They're like, your self tape was amazing. We really liked it. And we really love what you're doing right now. And they asked me about my background. I told him I was a minister and you know, the guy was like, Hey, I don't know if this means anything to you, but the ministry's loss could be acting's gain. And wow. I had such a fun time in the theatrical part of it in the not doing a commercial read, not doing, you know, uh, in any of those things, but sitting down and, and creating a character and being somebody else instead of, cause I always thought that, you know, the best I could hope to be is, uh, you know, like the Chantix guy or something, you know, <laughs> um, or, uh, if, if someone needed a body double for Zach Galifianakis or something, you know, um, that, uh, that's basically where, where I came in, but I had such a good time doing that. I don't know if you've ever played golf before. Mm. Some of the most miserable experiences in my life. All right. Here's the deal about golf for most of us. Most of us suck at golf. I haven't played golf in 15 years. Uh, I ripped a shoulder out and I can't, I swing like a 92 year old man now. No matter how many times you hit the sand trap, hit the water, uh, four putt, you know, uh, hit like 105, you know, you know, 35 over par at the end of the day. If you can chip one in from like 70 yards, all it takes is one great shot to keep you coming back. Just you, you hole in from the sand trap and get an eagle. And you're like, that's, that's what this is all about. And it's those moments in whatever it is that you want to do that keep you coming back. So it's that, it's that audition. 
that I had like nine months ago that keeps me coming back every day. That keeps me going like, okay, yeah, I'm struggling right now and I haven't had an audition in a long time, but that I, I hold one in from a hundred yards once mm-hmm. and it keeps me coming back, you know, and I can't wait to get a job that pays our bills and allows me to do something I want to do for a while. That's, I mean, I take background work. I take whatever, I'll take any job I can that takes me away from driving for Uber for a day. Uh, that takes me away from driving for Uber for one day is, uh, is a good day for me. I was uh, on set the other day and the lead actor of the TV show walked up to me. He's like, Hey, my name's Nathan. I'm like, yeah, I know. <laughs> my name's Eric. He's like, Hey, thanks for being here today. Nathan Fillion. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Rock on. I was like, yeah. I, and I just, when he said that, I'm like, Oh, my name's Eric. As if I hadn't seen Firefly a dozen right, times, no, you know? I know who you are, dude. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And uh, like, I just wanted to say, just one more Firefly. Just one more. Right. But I didn't. That was cool. Yeah, you know? yeah. I was like, oh, yeah, my name's Eric. So a question I used to ask all my guests on my podcast uh, mm-hmm. is, did this industry choose you or did you choose it? What would you say? I would have to say I chose it. I, I don't really feel like it's chosen me felt like it gave you a lot of opportunity to dip in though. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've been in Los Angeles for a long time and just resisted anything of uh, being involved in it. So I don't know, maybe, maybe I don't know how to answer that question or I just haven't uh, opened my eyes to it. I, I just, I, I think with anything, whether it's a calling or whether it's, you know, ultimately you can look back and say it chose you, you still have to make the decision. You have to go like, I'm jumping into this thing. Yeah the pool doesn't envelop you. You have to dive into the pool. Right. You know, but the pool, it sounds to me like the pool has presented itself numerous yeah. times and, and said, jump in, jump yeah. in. the water's fine. Yeah. It's, it's good, man. It's fine. Yeah. You just go yeah. ahead and do this. Yeah. So that's cool. I didn't know all that. And I just hearing that now, I, I think good things are, I think good things are ahead for you. Yeah. I mean, I have a sense, a sense about it. Yeah. I'm taking an acting class every Wednesday. Uh, unless I'm working somewhere, if I get a job, then I don't go to the class, obviously, because that's why we do the training is to get the work, you know? Yeah. And, um, last week I had a, a cool experience. Another, another guy from our class actually has the part, but he was out of town and, uh, a co-class member of ours wrote a web series. She was like, can you come do the table read with us? Because Scott's out of town. I'd never done a table read before. So I'm like, yeah, yeah, I'd love to. I mean, it was on a Saturday evening. It was supposed to be like an hour. It was like three and a half hours. Um, so that took, I had to work Sunday on driving for Uber to make up for, for that. But it was so worth it because we read the whole season, cold read it, and then went and did it again. Wow. And got good notes from the director. And I got to know the classmate a little bit better just based on the, the presentation of this thing that she wrote. And I'm like, oh, wow, because I want to have her on the podcast, too, because I really need I, I need people on the podcast who have had the types of I mean, she's had to deal with like racism and sexism and, and all these different things in the workplace. And I'm like, I really want to hear what me, too, is like from a woman's perspective. I don't want to sit around going like, oh, man, as dudes, we need to, you know, mm-hmm. yeah. I want to hear I want to hear everybody's story. That's basically what this podcast is. I want to hear how we can not be assholes to women in the workplace, to minorities, 
to each other to just however it works out, you know? Yeah. Yeah. The spiritual guide of this is don't be an asshole. Like that lady who keyed my friend's car. What an asshole move that was. Yeah. But I wonder what was going on in her life. That I know. I that's. Hope, I hope. I hope. Whatever it is, I hope she's she's all right. Yeah. You know, yeah. Like, a car is a car. It's just stuff, man. But, it is. But a that's thing. real. That's real pain she's experiencing. So. Had to have been. And I I do try to put myself in in other people's shoes in those situations. You know, like I told you earlier. You know, people can freak out in, inside the Uber about being somewhere, and I, I I do my best for them. But at the end of the day, their stress is is not my stress. I can't take on their stress and then go home and be good for my wife and my kids. And I do want other people to be able to like, you know what? Yeah. My boss's stress. It's not my stress. You know, he's having a shitty day and he's taking it out on everybody and that's making our day worse. But at the end of the day, his stress isn't my stress. I don't run this company like he does. So Hopefully that stress is just based on that and not the fact that he's a total dick. Mm. You know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 There's a great quote from a book that's right there. Uh, it's called Awareness. I might have told you about it, actually. Uh, it's by a non-denominational priest uh, named Anthony DeMello. He passed away some years ago. And the book is basically a transcript of, of several sermons that he gave at various retreats over the years. Okay. And uh, there are a couple things in that book that I had to just take a nap after I read them <laughs> because they were so profound to me. And one of them was... I memorized it because it was so profound. He said, you're a dictator. I'm a dictator. You will behave exactly as I have decided, or I will punish myself by having negative feelings. And when I heard that, I was like, oh my God, I am walking around deciding how everybody should be. And when they don't act according to my private will, I beat myself up by being judgmental and negative and hateful. Yeah. And that was that was a turning point. He, reading that book was a big turning point in my life. I started to look at other people and my my relation to them as very subjective and unnecessarily cruel. It's a good book. Check it out. Oh, I will. Yeah, I'll uh, yeah. definitely. It's really I'll, good. I'll try to when I hear that quote a few times during the playback. I'll I'll like type it out and yeah. uh, a link maybe link the the book or something in the description. Yeah, it's a great book. Um, geez, Louise, man, that that was thick. <laughs> right then the book is just full of stuff like that there's another yeah. one i'll tell you real fast uh this this he tells a story of this kid that came to him was all upset because his girlfriend cheated on him mm-hmm. and he said to the kid this one wasn't quite as profound as i didn't memorize it but it was something along the lines of like well what, what did you expect it's like you're the one who put her on a pedestal and tried to make her this flawless human being he's like i guarantee if you were in the same situation had the same options and the same thinking you would have done it too he's like we're all human here I'm like you have to expect these kinds of things from people. Everybody's the good guy in their story, you know? Everybody nobody, is the good guy in their, in their own story. Nobody does anything thinking that they're being intentionally evil. You know, right. they're, they're always venting or, or doing some justice to some, to some thing in their life to, to come out loving themselves a little more. And yeah. There's, we know, frankly, we need, people need to love themselves more. <laughs> so yeah. I, I, I support uh, sometimes the extreme measures that people take. As long as we can just disconnect from the material world a little bit more, I think it'll be all right. Anyway. So what keeps you leaning in to whatever spirituality you lean into? Yeah. Uh, there is enough. I don't, you know, that's, that's, I saw that question you sent it to me ahead of time, and I was sort of like, God damn, like I, that's a great question. 
I mean, I'm not about to off myself, so uh, I'm here for the long haul, as far as I can tell. Okay. And every day that I'm here, I want my my goal, the more self-exploration, self-examination, self-expression that I do, talking to other people, the more uh, I just want to be a force for good in the world. Hmm. You know, I look around, and yeah, I see a lot of unnecessary cruelty, you know? I mean, that's why I, I eat the way I do. I believe in not causing excessive misery, even if it's something that I, even if it results in something I enjoy. Right. I try to go like, well, what's really at work there, Trevor? Like, do you really not give a shit about other things, other creatures, other people, to the degree that you enjoy something at their, at their suffering, at their cost, some, oftentimes of their lives? Like, that doesn't seem right to me. So I, I just, I want to be a force for, the good, a force for good in the world. I want to show up and raise the vibration of the human race, which is, arguably the most expendable species on the planet <laughs> if everything would benefit if we disappeared except maybe <laughs> domesticated animals yeah uh so you know i just i see things like you know i don't want to get political but i see a lot of the stuff going on with our government and mm -hmm. other other um other societies around the world i see you know the way our food system is in incredibly destructive i see the way people are to each other and i just think if I can just show up and try to be compassionate and understanding, maybe I can offset a small piece of that. Mm -hmm. Like I'm hoping that that guy that I had that traffic interaction with, I'm hoping he went forward into his day somehow and paid that forward. And somebody that he could have blown up with at or, or something could have happened, he deliberately chose to act with compassion instead. Rather than react, he responded. Yeah, that, there's the hope. But when you're a, a college kid driving a Tesla, I mean, chances are you were raised to be a dick. You know, well, you know, maybe I'm kidding. Uh, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm part of me is joking <laughs> that there's, there's a lot of really good, there are a lot of people raised in wealth that are raised to be well people, to be well adjusted people. Uh, the other day I was giving these kids a ride, I mean, 16, 18 year. I mean, I'm going to say 18 because I don't think technically I'm supposed to give rides to people under 18 in Uber, but I picked them up at, in the Palos Verdes and I took them to like a couple of miles to this other area in Palos Verdes, some of the nicest, biggest houses I've ever seen in my life. And they're like, oh, this isn't the address. And I'm like, well, this is the address you put in. He's like, no, I put in the right address. I was like, okay. And he read me the address it's supposed to be, which was five blocks off. And I'm like, I don't mind taking you down there. And we go down and he's like, right there next to that Rolls Royce will be good. And I was like, all right, hmm. douchebag. <laughs> you know? mm -hmm. And I'm like, and then the next guy I picked up from the area, he's got kids, and uh, I was just kind of relating the story. He's like, oh, man, my kids would not be walking straight if they treated mm -hmm. somebody like that. Mm -hmm. And he's like, but I try, but, you know, it's still, still the same thing. And, like, I hate to quote somebody who uh, is, like, been caught up in, as one of the big guys in the Me Too movement, <laughs> you know, uh, Louis C.K. And I'm really bummed that he did what he did because... As far as stand-up comedians, he really had a, like a, a prophetic voice. Yeah, um, yeah, absolutely. I, I like to think of uh, stand-up comedians are some of the few people that can stand up and speak to culture in a way that other people just can't. They are the closest thing we have to Old Testament prophets in the 21st century. We full-on require them. We yeah. need them so badly. Yeah. yeah. And he said, yeah, he doesn't let his kids. He's like he spends his money. He doesn't save his money for his kids. You know, he's like, it's his money here. They didn't earn it. And then he goes to say, there's no way you can be raised with money and not be an asshole. And I don't agree with that 100%, but 
Because, I mean, as a someone who's a provocateur, you say things over and beyond what you actually mean yeah. to prove a point. And it just, I look at my kids, and we definitely don't have money, but I want to have money. And I want to be able to raise these kids to be good, thoughtful young men who respect all races, uh, creeds, nationalities, sexualities, everything. And I want them to be respectful and good people. How do I raise them to be that in whatever circumstances that I'm moving toward, you know? And so I actually just, we, we started a whole new topic just now. I, I, I hijacked the topic and now, now we've got, I love we, it, man. We could go another half hour with we what can I We go as long started. as you'd like. Yeah. Yeah. I, my uh, son has youth tonight, so I'm going to have to get back up to Pasadena here in a little bit. But, um, yeah, so you answered my questions. And so I'm just going to end this part by saying, hey, kids, don't be assholes. Well, that was my abrupt ending with my conversation with Trevor. Hopefully, we have a chance to sit down again someday and go deeper into, you know, the mysteries of life and all that wonderful stuff. Um, look for some special holiday stuff coming up soon. When I say special holiday stuff, probably me just complaining about the holidays. <laughs> all right. <laughs>